Rachel will lead you downstairs. So awesome job, Anthony. It's a big crowd for junior church. Good luck, Rachel. <laughs> Love to see all the little kids. Awesome, awesome. So a couple of months ago, uh, a movie came out called uh, Marvel uh, Avengers Endgame, and uh, it was a huge hit. Um, I went to go see it along with many other people worldwide. Raise your hand if you saw the Avengers Endgame in theaters. Oh, yes. We, we got, we got a, not as many as I was expecting, to be honest, but we got a handful of people who went to the movie theaters to go watch the Avengers Endgame, and uh, it was a roaring success movie. It holds 36 box office records. That blows every other movie out of the water. The next closest thing was Star Wars The Force Awakens, and that has 12 records. In third place, the Titanic holds six box office records, and then followed by E.T. and Avatar are tied for fourth, and they have five records. But this new movie, the Marvel Avengers Endgame, I believe it's still in theaters, in a couple of theaters, um, but it was a huge success, 36 box office records, and apparently people love the story of superheroes. They love to, to watch movies about superheroes, and about a month ago, uh, I, I saw an interesting article about a man named Augustin Alanis who watched the movie, one movie, in theaters, they figure about $10 a ticket, one movie, he watched it over a hundred times. <laughs> One man watched the same movie over a hundred times in theaters. And that was on June 14th, I saw the report, and uh, he watched it 110 times by then. But his goal was to watch it 200 times. He claimed he wanted to see it 200 times in theaters. And so I had to go check, check it out. So yesterday I did some real uh, internet stalking. Uh, or Facebook stalking, or Twitter stalking, uh, whatever you like to call it. And so yesterday, I was looking on the internet, trying to find this guy up. I want to see how close he was to 200. And so I came across Twitter. I didn't even have a Twitter myself. But I finally found him. If you, if you can show the picture. Oh, he, he was just getting up. The next slide. Yes. Yes, there we go. The gentleman on the left, yes. Yeah, that was yesterday in the afternoon. That was his 160th time watching Marvel Avengers Endgame in the theaters. And that just blew my mind. He watched 160 times in theaters. And, and the movie is not a short movie. It's, it's a very long movie. It's three hours and two minutes. So we'll just say three hours. So he watched 160 times times three. That's 480 hours of his life that he spent watching Marvel Avengers Endgame in theaters. That's, uh, if, if a work day were uh, like a typical eight-hour work day, that's 60 work days that he spent watching Marvel Avengers Endgame, or, or 12 weeks of work. That is crazy. This, this superhero genre is taking over, and more and more people are, are getting on board with this superhero genre as Marvel is continuing to crank out more and more superhero movies and more other companies, uh, brands are, are filming these superhero genres because the people love to, to see a movie about a superhero. Raise your hand if you like to watch like superhero stuff. 
Yes, yes, a lot of us. Yes, me too. I, I went and watched uh, the movie in theaters, and I loved it. Um, but we turned to watching movies uh, to find stories about superheroes or heroes, but really that's not necessary at all. It's not necessary for us to, turn, to go to the theaters to, to watch uh, a movie about a mass amount of superheroes, because let me tell you, in God's word is filled it is filled with heroes of our faith. I mean, you know, I, I'm a huge Captain America fan, part, part of uh, the movie that this guy watched 160 times. As much as I wish Captain America were a real thing in America, running around, uh, taking care of business, he's not. He, he's just for fun. He, he's, he's a pretend figure that we like to watch movies about. But the Bible is filled with heroes that are real. These are real life people who lived thousands of years ago. And some of the things that these heroes accomplish, Captain America couldn't even dream of doing. We, we have heroes who are splitting seas. We, we have heroes who are raising people from the dead. We have heroes who are walking on, walking on water. Captain America couldn't even dream of doing half of the things that the heroes of our faith are recorded to do in God's scripture. And so with this big hit on superheroes and heroes going on in, in America, really worldwide, um, we're going to spend, we're going to start a week, you can go back to the title page, we're going to spend, or start a series called The Heroes of Our Faith. And, and it's going to last six weeks, and each week we're going to cover a different hero of our faith that is found in God's scripture. And these are real people that roamed on the earth that we are standing on right now. Real people that worked for God and his kingdom and his son. And so with that said, we'll go ahead and start with our very first hero uh, this morning. And the hero that we're going to be talking about this morning is the hero of Daniel. And now many of you guys may be familiar with Daniel. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel is one of, the major, one of the five major prophets, and Daniel, he lived around 600 B.C. To give you kind, guys kind of a better idea of when that was, David, King Saul, David and Solomon, they were around 1,000 B.C., and then 400 years later came along Daniel and, and his ministry and his prophecy, and then about 600 years after Daniel, of course, came along Jesus Christ. So about halfway in between uh, the, the kings, David, uh, or Saul, David, and Solomon, and Jesus, we find the ministry of, of the prophet Daniel. And so we'll read in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It reads, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So basically what we see here is that, yeah, in the third year of the reign of the king Jehoiakim, uh, which uh, scholars can trace that back to about 600 B.C., so about 600 B.C., uh, if you didn't catch that here, uh, this nation Babylon with the king Nebuchadnezzar overtook the nation of Judah. So here Babylon, a, a nation far away, came over to, to Judah and they captured the, the nation of Judah at around 600 BC with Nebuchadnezzar 
as their king. And we see in verse 3 that then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's place, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So what we see here is that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the, the nation of Babylon, as they overtook the nation of Judah, they took some of the finest men and women of Judah, some of, some of the noble families, the royal families, and they also took with them some of the best youth, the best-looking youth around, the smartest, the brightest, the best-looking youth. And what the king was going to do, he was going to feed them his food that he had. I mean, the king's food, that would have been like the best of the best. And our standards, that's like a nice cooked T-bone steak with some mashed potatoes and gravy and corn or whatever you like. This is some real nice food that the king is offering to these people, to, to this youth. And so we continue, and, and they were also going to educate the youth for about three years so that they could serve the king and the nation of Babylon. And so we see in verse 6, among these, among the youth that the Babylonians took and were going to train for three years and feed the king's food and drink, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, you may be familiar with, he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. So here, the Babylonians, they took these youth, these Jewish boys, and they they went over to the nation of Babylon, and the chief eunuch, or basically the guy in charge, uh, took these guys, he took Daniel and and, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah uh, with them, and he gave them Babylonian names. Uh, We know Daniel as his Hebrew Hebrew name, Daniel, but he was given the name Belteshazzar. Hananiah is called Shadrach, which many of you guys are probably familiar with. Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. Four of the people, you might remember uh, a couple of months ago we did the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown to the fiery furnace um, that Nebuchadnezzar set for them. But so here we see that Daniel and these three other lads uh, were part of, part of the big group of youth that was sent to Babylon to, to eat the king's food and drink the, the king's drink and to be trained for three years so that they could serve the king in the future. And so we'll read a big chunk here, verses 8 through 16 read. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. 
At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who are the king's food. So their steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So the lesson of the story here is what we see is if you eat vegetables and drink water, you'll be fatter in flesh. So if you're on a diet and trying to eat vegetables, that's probably the wrong route. As, Dan, as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're eating vegetables, but they appear fatter in flesh. So maybe try that out. Maybe not. Doctors probably wouldn't be too happy with me. <laughs> but anyways, so here Daniel was. He was presented the king's food, and again, this king's food would have been the best of the best, the best food that the nation had to offer, of course, the king would have eaten. And these youth, these lucky, these lucky little boys were able to eat the king's food and the drink. They, they were lucky guys. And so here they present the food to Daniel, and what does Daniel do? Daniel, Daniel scuffs up the food. No, Daniel, Daniel says, I do not want to defile my body with this food and the drink that the king has offered me. Meanwhile, everybody else around him is eating the food that the king has offered and, and the drink that the king has offered. I mean, when someone offers you food, it's generally polite to eat the food that they have presented to you. But Daniel, presented to, he was presented with this food, but he says, I do not want to defile myself, my body, with the food of the king and with the drink of the king. This implies, it doesn't explicitly state, but this implies that the food that the king and that the Babylonians presented to the Jewish people was not kosher or that it was, went against the dietary laws that the Jews had. So this food that was presented to Daniel likely would have been unclean. It was food that they should not have been eating, but everybody else around Daniel, other than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, everybody else around them was eating this food that the king and the Babylonians offered to them. Now remember, here Daniel, probably in his teens, was, was born and raised in Judah, but he was taken captive and shipped way, it was 900 miles away. He was 900 miles away from his family, from his parents, from his home, away from pretty much everybody that I imagine he, he would have known. He was 900 miles away. He could have easily very easily eaten the food that the king had presented to him. He could have very easily eaten probably the best food that his lips would have probably ever touched in his life. As that's what everybody else was doing, that's what the other Jews were doing. But it says that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel didn't care what everybody else around him was doing. Everybody else around him did the comfortable thing, the normal thing, the easy choice, is to eat the food that the king would have presented to you. The eunuch even said, I fear my life for asking the king for such, such a bold request to not eat the food that he has requested you. You know, you go to your grandmother's house and, and you eat the food that your grandmother cooks out, out of respect. But all the more, if you go to the king... You better eat his food. You better not offend the king of Babylon, the king of the nation who just overtook your nation. But Daniel had the courage to not take that food or that drink because it was considered unclean. He had the courage, even though all of his other peers were partaking in the food and the drink. A modern day example for us would be if a kid goes over to a friend's house 
and the friend's house uh, maybe has some more inappropriate games or more inappropriate movies, and a kid goes over to his friend's house and watches or plays these inappropriate games or movies. I mean, a kid can do that because they're, they're not home with their parents, and they can easily hide it from their parents. That's kind of like a modern, uh, very, very scaled-down modern-day example of what Daniel was doing. He, even though he was far away from home, and even though he could have very easily taken the food that the king had offered him, he refused to, to do so because he did not want to defile himself. God set these laws in place for the Jews, and Daniel wasn't going to compromise the standards that he has just because of what everybody else around him was doing. He didn't compromise his standards. And that's something that a lot of us can easily do with, with the pressure of our peers, is we easily compromise our standards because of what others are doing around us. And it would have been so easy for Daniel to just take that food uh, that he think would have defiled his body, but he didn't. He had courage. He didn't care what his peers were doing. He didn't fall into the peer pressure. He did not compromise his standards. It didn't matter what everybody else was doing. He was not going to compromise his standards and defile his body. And it turned out that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, as we kind of finished the story, uh, we'll read another story, but uh, it turned out that they uh, were the best, best of the bunch. They were the brightest. Uh, they were the healthiest people. So then uh, the chief unit gave everybody uh, the same food that uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, partook. And so it worked out well for Daniel as he was not willing to compromise his standards. So that's the first story that we see of Daniel. And we're going to kind of skip through to chapter 6 of Daniel. The book of Daniel, the first six chapters are more so narrative and, and fun stories to read. And the last six uh, chapters are kind of like the prophecy of the book, kind of the more confusing stuff. But in chapter six, uh, we see another uh, story of Daniel. And 70 years has passed by in chapter 6. So in chapter 1, the story that we just read where Daniel refused to eat the food of the king, he, he was in his teens. He, 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 was, he was younger than I, and so he, he was just a young lad. But 70 years has passed in chapter 6, and so Daniel is probably in his 80s, maybe 90, but regardless, Daniel is an old man at this time. Not old, elderly. He, he's a wise man at this point. I don't want to offend anybody in here. My, my apologies. So in Daniel chapter 6, uh, we'll, we'll read in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And I should clarify that 70 years has passed, so there's a brand new king. Nebuchadnezzar was the king when Daniel was a kid, and Nebuchadnezzar's kid was then a king, and then after that came Darius. So a whole new king, probably many changes uh, to this nation. So this King Darius, so I'll read that again in verse 1. It pleased Darius, the king of Babylon, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them were three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
So what we see here is that Darius, he was a wise man. He realized that he couldn't do all the work himself. So he set 120 people in charge of, of different places. That, that term satraps just means it's like a provincial governor. So basically we're talking about 120 governors that Darius set over to rule the land. And over those 120 governors, he set three high officials, like his top three dogs. And Daniel was one of those top three dogs, one of the three high officials. And King Darius, the king of Babylon, he was so impressed with Daniel that he was going to make Daniel the king of Babylon, or maybe not necessarily the king, but he was going to set him over the whole kingdom. He was going to give him the authority over the whole kingdom. And so Daniel was making, great, was making great improvements. All throughout his life, he lived in Babylon, a foreign pagan kingdom, and he moved his way up the ranks, all the way from being just a captive, all the way to being one of the three high officials and the best of the three high officials. And so we read in verse 4, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground or any fault, because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, I agree that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So here what we see is that the other two high priests and all the other uh, governors that, that King Darius put in place, they, all, they were all getting to grow jealous of Daniel. As Daniel was making his way up the ranks and he was about to, to be given power over the whole kingdom. And so they got together, they, they had a meeting, they talked about how are we going to knock this guy Daniel down. Uh, we, we don't want him to be the king. We want to be the next guy in charge. So how are we going to take care of this? Well, they couldn't find him guilty of anything. So they were talking to King Darius, the king, and like, hey, Darius, we think you should make a decree that nobody should be able to, to worship or make a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, Oh, king, and I'm sure they were flattering the king and King Darius going, all right, all right, I'll sign the decree that makes it illegal for anybody to make a petition or pray to any god or man for 30 days. And, and so King Darius did that. He signed that. Um, and so, so for 30 days, it was illegal for anybody to, to uh, pray or, or give a petition to any god or any man and the high officials and, and the counselors, the governors, they did this with the purpose of trying to get Daniel in trouble. And, and if anybody were to petition to any god or man in the next 30 days, they'd be thrown into the den of lions. Now, let me tell you guys a bit about nature. Sometimes Jamie and I like to watch uh, the, those planet Earth uh, shows. 
Um, we've, we've gotten mocked for being like a 90-year-old couple watching the planet Earth and doing a puzzle while doing it. Um, but he, we, let me tell you guys a bit about nature. Lions, uh, they're, they're carnivores. They like to eat other animals. And so when you get thrown into a den of lions, what's going to happen? We all know. You're going to get eaten up by the lions because that's what lions do. They eat up other animals or other people. And so being thrown into the den of lions, that's practically an execution at, at, at its finest in simplicity. And so we continue the story in, chapter, in, in verse 10 of chapter 6. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did he not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And so here Daniel is knowing that they signed, that the king signed a new decree that if you petition or pray to any god or man for the next 30 days, you'll be cast into the den of lions. And so Daniel, being the brilliant hero of our faith that he is, he proceeds and he still prays to God three times a day up, up in his room with the window open and praying on his knees towards the city of Jerusalem because he was truly a man of God. He was a man of faith. And the other high officials, they probably knew exactly that Daniel was going to do just that because he was a man of God. And so these other high officials and the other satraps, they went to the king and said, hey, didn't you just sign a decree that said anybody who petitions or prays to a god or any man should be cast into the den of lions? He goes, yeah, yeah. And they, well, they say, well, Daniel, one of your high officials ignores you and ignores this creed. And so they said you have to throw him into the den of lions. And again, Daniel was close to King Darius. Darius trusted him, and I imagine he was very close to him since he trusted him so much. And so Darius was troubled with this. He didn't want to see his best man be cast into a den of lions because of a creed that he was tricked into signing. And so he, he had much distress about this, and he spent all night worrying about this and, and praying and hoping that he could be rescued. But the men came again to the king and said, it's a law. It's a law that was put in place, and nobody can revoke that law. Not even you, O king. And so we continue in verse 16. 
Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So here Darius is having to throw his best man into a den of lions. And, and he casts him into the den of lions, these hungry lions. And, and again, uh, kind of like the, the Bible, the kids' stories that we read in, in Sunday school or whatever, is that it kind of depicts Daniel as, as a young man, maybe in his 20s or 30s. But Daniel, we have to remember, he's in at least his 80s at this point. And so he's thrown into this den of lions. The stone is rolled back and he's sealed into the den of lions. And all hope is lost. All hope is lost for Daniel as he's thrown into the den of lions. And so we read in verse 19, Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servants of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? That Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So many of you guys are probably familiar uh, with story, as you might have heard it as, as a kid growing up in your Sunday school class or whatever. But Daniel, being an old man in a den of lions, all hope lost, there was found no harm on him at all, being cast into the den of lions. This is incredible. No lion caused harm to him. If you threw Captain America into, into this den of lions, yeah, he probably would have taken care of business, but he at least would have had a scratch or two found on him. But Daniel, not a single scratch, not a single harm was caused to Daniel by this den of lions because God provided for Daniel. God provided a way for Daniel. And Daniel survived all night. And after that, the king rejoiced seeing Daniel, his best man, being thrown into a den. They rejoiced together, and the king threw the other officials and governors that, that tried to get Daniel killed and, and along with their families, and they were thrown into the den of the lions. And before they even went to the bottom of the den, the lions uh, ate them up, and a gory picture there that we don't need to go into detail. But, but they were all killed in this den of lions. But Daniel... One man in his 80s survived. What an awesome story uh, that we see of Daniel. Is Daniel anybody's favorite hero of the Bible? Anybody? 
Nobody. Okay, okay. Well, maybe we'll get into your favorite heroes later on in the upcoming weeks. But Daniel's a fascinating hero in the Bible. He's many kids' favorite hero as the kids read the story of Daniel being thrown into the den of lions. And so we, we, look, we took a look at two stories of Daniel. And in chapter one, we took a story when Daniel was just a kid and a story of where he has presented the king's food and the king's drink, uh, but he did not want to defile himself. He didn't want to defile himself with the food. He didn't care what everybody else was doing. He wasn't going to compromise his standards, even though everybody else around him was doing the, the thing that Daniel did not want to do. And then in chapter 6, we see the story of Daniel and the den of lions, which many of you guys are probably familiar with. We see that they put, the king signed a decree that anybody who prays to God was to be cast into the den of lions. And so it was made very difficult. It, it became life-threatening for Daniel to pray and talk and communicate to his God. But Daniel didn't even let the, the threatening of death, the threatening of his life, cause him to compromise his standards. No matter what was thrown at Daniel, he would not compromise his standards. In, in both the story in chapter 1 and both the story in chapter 6, he was not willing to compromise his standards no matter what was thrown his way, no matter what everybody what everybody else was doing around him, and not even if his life was on the line. And that is a wonderful hero of our faith, one of the great heroes of our faith, that no matter what was thrown his way, he was not willing to compromise his standards, his standard of growing closer to God on a daily basis and expanding his kingdom and seeking to please God the rest of his days. And we can learn a brilliant example from Daniel that no matter what is thrown our way, we shall not compromise our standards, our standards of pleasing God and growing closer to God on a daily basis. No matter what is thrown our way, even if that means everybody else around you is not pleasing God or worshiping God or serving God or growing closer to God. Because let me tell you, Christianity is becoming less and less of a common thing. It's becoming more and more common to, to not be a Christian, to, to stray away from God. It's not the cool thing to have a standard of pleasing God. It's not the cool thing to refrain from swearing or using profane language when others around you are doing it. It's not the cool thing to protect your eyes from harmful content such as pornography or other harmful content when everybody else around you is indulging in that harmful content. It's not the cool thing to pray before your meal when, when you're crowded in a restaurant or in a cafeteria at your school or work. It's not the cool thing to wake up an extra 15 minutes early in the morning to spend time in devotion and prayer to God. Your peers around you, for the most part, probably are not seeking God and pleasing God and serving Him and growing closer to Him. That's not their standard. But from the example of Daniel, from the lesson of Daniel, we, we can see that we shall not compromise our standards 
no matter what everybody else around us is doing. Because people around us are defiling themselves and their families and their bodies because they are not seeking God. But be the Daniel. Be the Daniel and do not defile yourself and grow closer to God and seek God continually. Peer pressure is a very real thing. We, we, they talk a lot about it at schools and it's focused on the youth. But it applies to adults as well. It applies to everybody. We can easily be lured in and, and tempted to join in on other people's sinful uh, activities that they are participating in because that's just what everybody else is doing. That's the easy choice to make. It's the fun choice to make. But don't fall into that. Do not compromise your standards. I know you have some sort of standard in pleasing God because you're here this morning in and, 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 and the church, in God's church. So don't compromise your standards, even if everybody else around you is doing the, the sinful activities. And there's going to be times in your life where people may make it difficult on you to, to seek God and grow closer to God, just as Daniel did. It was difficult for Daniel to worship God, so much so that his life was on the line if you were to pray to God. You know, your boss might not like it if you're at work and praying or talking to your coworkers about God and spreading the gospel message. You know, your, your school, your teacher might not uh, like or prohibit you from talking about God at your school. Your friend may decide to leave you if you remain steadfast and growing closer to God. Your family may even alienate you if you make God your number one priority. You may get bullied for your desire to please God. This country may get to a point maybe one day where, we could, where, our, where our lives could be in danger in worshiping God. Now, many of us probably, probably won't hit that, or, or Jesus may return before then, but there's a very real threat if you go overseas. Your life could be on the line for worshiping God and praying to God and growing close to him on a daily basis. And so just like we shouldn't compromise our standards for peer pressure, we shall not compromise our standards in growing closer to God and serving him when life gets difficult. When people, when circumstances make it difficult on us to please God. Daniel certainly didn't compromise his standards, even when it was threatened that he'd be thrown into a den of lions. But let me tell you, God provided a way for Daniel. And God will provide a way for you as well. If you seek him with all of your heart, God will provide a way. And so our first hero that we talk about this morning, as we, and we'll talk about five more later on, I encourage you all to come back as we talk about more of the heroes of our faith. The, the, the main lesson, the main draw that I want you to get from our great hero of faith in Daniel this morning is that no matter what is thrown your way, do not compromise your standards of growing closer to God. Make that decision right now that you are not going to compromise your standards, because let me tell you, if you wait to make that decision when you're in that circumstance or in that situation, a lot of times you're going to make the wrong choice. So make that choice right now that no matter what peer pressure, no matter how difficult people make it upon you, do not compromise your standards of growing closer to God. Because that's the least that God deserves. That's the least that God deserves from us is to diligently seek him the rest of our days. Because today, as we celebrate communion, as we remember communion, 
about 2,000 years ago, God sent his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, for your sins, so that he could have a relationship with you, so that you could seek him diligently the rest of your days. It's the least that God deserves. God deserves that. Don't compromise your standards, no matter what other people are doing around you, no matter how difficult people make it upon you. Because it's the least that he deserves as we remember communion this morning. In the book of 1 Corinthians, last passage that we'll flip to as we transition into communion. As we flip into 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is writing, he's talking about the Lord's Supper, the last supper that Jesus celebrated, uh, the supper of Passover that he celebrated with his disciples the night before, uh, or the night that he was betrayed and the night before he was uh, crucified on the cross. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if the ushers could come forward, and Jen, if you could go out of the piano. As we partake in communion, as Jesus was sitting with his disciples, he took the bread and he said, this bread represents my body, my body that is about to be broken for you, my, his body that was broken for us on that cross. So as we partake together as a church, as we partake this bread, this resembles the body of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that was broken for us, that was broken for our sins. So let's pray over the bread. Father God, I just thank you for this day. I just thank you for uh, the great decision that Anthony has made this morning and being baptized and devoting his life to you and your Son in your coming kingdom. Father, we realize that's only made possible because of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we cannot thank you enough for the ultimate gift of love, the ultimate gift of grace through the breaking of your son's body on that cross. Father, we love you. We thank you for the ultimate gift of grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.